Hey there, welcome to Authentically Raw. I'm your host, Jamie Barris. Welcome, Megan Cornette, to the Authentically Raw podcast. How are you? I'm so good. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Absolutely. So digging in a little deeper to your website and who you are and what you do, I've come up with a lot of stuff. I'll let you introduce yourself and give a little bit more, but I got spiritual healer out of there, musician, teacher, someone that helps um, us heal with our big emotions or go through them, and yoga instructor. And let's see if there was anything. There's all kinds of stuff there. So why not we let you unpack it and tell us who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I feel like it's really hard to nail down what um, one single title could be for myself because there are so many things. So I really like to think of the yoga, um, the meditation, the music. The music. Um, I'm also a Reiki healer. Like All of that is just part of a greater toolkit of healing for me. So I really just like to think of myself as um, a spiritual healer. Um, I love, love, love creating sacred spaces for people, especially women. It's really been my um, life's calling to work with women specifically on healing through um, difficult moments in their lives, through trauma, um, uncovering childhood wounding, um, because that's all really heavy stuff. And we need these healing tools to be able to process those emotions and that trauma to get it out of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a lot of talk therapy in my past, and it's been really, really helpful. But I know that on a somatic body-based level, it doesn't quite meet that need um, to be able to release, right? Our bodies hold so much, so much of our history. So um, by having this toolkit of different um, alternative kind of healing modalities, I just, it's so helpful for myself. And I love to bring it to other people and create um, an opportunity for others to heal, right? I'm not healing anyone specifically. Um, you do your own healing work. And I just offer the support and possibly a different modality that maybe you hadn't experienced before. Mm-hmm. That's, it's amazing and beautiful work, what you do. I want to clarify just because sometimes, um, you know, just for the audience and listeners, they don't always know what somatic healing or therapy is because everybody thinks of therapy a lot of times as just talk therapy. And there is so much more, so many different, you know, diversities of therapy. And the somatic therapy, could you explain to the listeners what that is, please? Absolutely. So somatic means of the body. And it's really any um, type of exercise or practice that gets into the body. So you get out of your head and into the body. So yoga is actually a somatic practice. And that's why often when people practice yoga in a certain pose, you might just suddenly feel a wave of emotions come through. And you just, sometimes it happened to me, you just want to cry for whatever reason. You're not even sure why you're crying. But it's it's a release that needed to happen, right? Oftentimes, that's like hip openers and heart openers for people. Mm-hmm. It's really emotional. Um, what I have found to be super helpful for myself is another somatic practice is EFT, emotional freedom technique. And that is actually tapping on various points of the body. They're acupressure points. And it works in this beautiful cycle. You keep repeating the cycle and it just helps you um, regulate your nervous system. So somatic practices are body-based and they seek to really um, quiet your nervous system. So we get into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest, digest, heal um, kind of mode. And then usually we're often in um, sympathetic response, which, which is our fight, flight, freeze response. And when we're stressed, that's where we're living, right? When we're in our heads, we are living in that fight, flight, freeze. So when you can get out of your head and out of the like overthinking, the ruminating, the worrying, the anxiety, all of that stuff, you get into the body and you're like, oh, actually, I'm okay in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. I- I can calm myself. I can kind of somewhat quiet my thoughts. They'll never be fully quiet, right? As we know, but just like getting out of that ego because that's where all our suffering is, right? 
For sure. Okay. Wow. I'm glad I asked that question. It was really truly for the listeners, right? <laughs> Not just me. No, no, because I think a lot of people have, they haven't heard of what, um, you know, somatic healing or somatic therapy is, and it's more of the body. And I'm glad I asked it because boy, you touched on so many things. And I guess I just, I always referred to, um, just, you, you call the EFT emotional. What was that? The tapping? Emotional freedom technique. Freedom technique. Okay. Because I've been doing that tapping and I love it. <laughs> and I didn't really, I, I didn't know the name behind it. I just have always called it tapping. And so if you don't mind, I want to ask some questions because I want to make sure I'm doing it right, which I kind of laugh. There's so many things that you talked about. I'm jotting a couple things down that we have to touch on. But even right now, and we delayed this interview 15 minutes because my lawn crew showed up late after like mass, we had massive storms here last night. And even as you're speaking, they're moving closer and closer to the window where I'm doing this interview with the blowers and I can just feel it all come, <laughs> coming in my body. And as you're talking, I'm like, I think I need a release right now. You know, can I stop and do some yoga? Right. Should I start doing tapping? But it's kind of funny how things happen because yeah, Maybe you are at work at your desk or you're in the car at a stoplight or you could do it with one hand or there's something that you're in and the stress, you know, the fight, flight, freeze happens. And tapping is something that you can do in the moment. And I try to do it every single morning with my cup of coffee. And I don't really know exactly um, like if I'm doing it right. But here's what I do. And I'm going to try to talk through it to the listeners. And maybe if you're able to, if you're not driving, maybe listeners can can kind of go through it and then i want you to guide me through it a little bit too but i start at my head and i do i'm tapping with my fingers on top of my head if you're not if you're if you're listening right now and i try to do one big inhale and exhale and i will count like to 10 and then i go to my forehead and i tap on my forehead same thing i try to slow and when i start i should say i'm always like really fast on my head i'm really fast on my forehead and then all of a sudden i catch that rhythm of my breath and i'm like okay slow down and then i go to the outside of my temples and i usually do the 10 you know with my breath i go underneath um, my eyes so i'm on that socket right there i'm tapping and then i go kind of above my lip by my nose a little bit and i usually hit my chin um, or my jawline, and then I go right between, um, or right underneath my collarbones. So those are the ones that I do, and I do a deep breath in, a deep breath out, and I can tell I slow the process down, and I might do it for maybe, I don't know, all of two minutes. And I try to do this every day in the morning. I know I should probably do it throughout the day. Tell me what I'm doing. Tell me if I'm doing it right. Tell me, I, I know there's no wrong way, but how should I enhance it? Tell us about this, because I think this is cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I will say I'm not an EFT practitioner, but I've done a lot of it for myself and I've worked with actual practitioners with, and it has honestly changed my life. Um, tapping has gotten me through some of my most intense anxiety attacks in the past. So what, um, I've done is like you said, Jamie on the go, like anywhere you are driving, like at your desk, I've done it literally, and I still do it, literally walking down the street when I mm -hmm. feel at something, right? And it's any time you're feeling emotionally charged. So mm -hmm. that could come from a specific event that happened or something that you're not even sure what happened, but you're feeling triggered inside. Like that is a great opportunity to do the tapping. Um, if you're trying to work through something like a past trauma or um, kind of emotional baggage that you might be holding on to, such as resentment, even against a, a partner or a family member or a friend, and you just want to like heal from the past. Let's say you've, um, you're just still feeling this emotional charge. So you can work with that. And so what you want to do with um, tapping is you want to kind of conjure up that emotion if you're not already feeling it in that moment. Mm -hmm. So you really want to kind of make it really big and let it fill your body. And that's when you start tapping on different points. Mm -hmm. So at the top of the head, I like to use actually a flat palm at the center oh. of my head. I find that more effective than just the two tips of the fingers okay. or the, both hands. And then you actually go to the start of the eyebrow here okay. at the, the brow. Just for listeners sake, Megan tapped on the top of her head using the palm of her hand. 
And then you use just like two or three fingers. Does it matter right above yeah, your eyebrows? I generally use two fingers, but I guess you could use three. It doesn't really matter. And you're okay. just using the fingertips, the points. And um, for the amount of pressure you want to tap, it's kind of like if you were tapping, um, there's like a really tall person in front of you at a concert and mm -hmm. you couldn't really see, and you just wanted to tap them on the shoulder from behind and say, hey, like, I, I can't see, you gotta move. <laughs> I'm five foot two, so that never happens to me. I can always, <laughs> I can always see, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I like your analogy. It's just, excuse me, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So start at the eyebrows, like you said, outer um, temples, then okay. just under the eyes. So at the eye socket, you can feel the actual like ring of the eye socket, and that's where you want to tap. Okay. Yeah. And Does then it help you wrinkles too. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then you want to go under the nose and I like to use the, the side of my finger. Actually, I generally, generally take two fingers and just tap horizontally along my uh, upper lip and then same thing at the, um, below my lower lip. So it's kind of that crease where your chin starts, you know, mm -hmm. we, some of us have it. Some of us have it more deep than others, right? right. Mine is pretty deep. <laughs> so I like to tap just there. Okay. Yeah. And then, like you said, Jamie, like under the collarbones as well. Okay. And then my favorite point, which to me activates the most and feels like the most releasing is this point that's just under the rib cage. So under your lowest rib. Okay. But in line with the nipples. So okay. Center. And you're, you can kind of, same thing like the, um, under the collarbones you're kind of digging under the cartilage like it's that point right there and you're okay. just kind of taking your your fingers and tapping um that area on both sides okay. um again it's up to you if you want to increase the pressure of tapping or not but i find that like a really big beautiful release at that point yeah and so typically how long do you feel like it's most effective? I know there's probably no like set time limit. Um, I mean, I just kind of all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I feel good. I'm done now, <laughs> you know, but is there any certain amount of time that you recommend or how many cycles or anything? It really depends. Like the goal of tapping is to like emotional freedom, right? Okay. You want to release that emotional charge. So as long as it takes for you to feel more relief, the, the emotion of, of whatever you were feeling might never like be completely gone, but there is a way to work with it. So it's more subdued and calm. So we basically mm -hmm. want to work towards neutrality of the emotion. So you might one cycle through these points might be enough, or okay. you might need to be doing it for like five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, what I have found in my own personal practice is in an anxiety attack, it's helpful. It works. It, it has been the only thing that has worked to for me to manage it um, mm -hmm. in the moment. And then I'll feel better. And then maybe 10 minutes later, the anxiety will come back. So then right. I do it again, right? It's just as often as you need, depending mm -hmm. on the acuity of, of what you're feeling. Right. And I think a lot of it too is it's a good, for me, I like to kind of relate it to it's it's a way to respond to your emotions and your feelings rather than react and when i think of reacting it is you know could be blowing up you know at someone or just you know doing things in the moment that we regret later or just more self-sabotaging things that don't truly help us just makes it worse and this is a good way to instead pause respond and i like the word regulate it is regulating our emotions it's just dealing with them right then and there and it's so simple and it feels good because it does slow your breath down and i guess that's one thing a question i would have too is how do is there any sort of a breath work that goes along with it yeah that's a great point um i do suggest like taking slow deeper breaths with it um so when i mentioned earlier you want to kind of exacerbate the emotion make it really big mm -hmm. as you're tapping through these points spend time like take a really big inhale a really big exhale at each point you can even you can stay at one point 
for five minutes if you want. Like you can only, um, you could choose to just do one point for your entire practice. You don't have to go through the cycle, right? Mm. But it's it's slowing down the breath. And you'll notice with each like mindful exhale that you do, your body is regulating, right? The emotion is slowly um, regulating and getting more neutral and more ready to for you to be able to hold space for it. Right, definitely. Okay, so you you also commented on um, you know the, the the overthinking, the fight, flight, freeze, all that, and how we get stuck in our heads. <laughs> I, I, I'll admit, I'm a deep thinker. I'm always thinking there's a lot going on in there all the time. And I, how can you relate? I guess my question is you, um, you're, you're a musician, um, teacher, and then there's the yoga. So that's one part of, um, one part of it. And then second part is I know that you have a story and some deeper wounds and in trauma and things like that. And it has kind of changed your story or your trajectory um, of your life. And it's kind of put you down the path to using all of these different modalities for healing. So would you be okay with unpacking uh, a little bit of your story? Because I think a lot of people, and I think talk therapy is fabulous, and I think it is a first good start for people. Um, and I think a lot of people, though, can still get stuck there. And it's funny because when you were talking just about the somatic healing, I have a book. It's called The Anxiety Rx from Russell Kennedy. It's sitting on my desk right now. And probably my favorite line in the whole book is, you cannot think your way out of a feeling problem. And I say that to myself a lot throughout the day because so many of us try to do that. And like you said earlier, and I 100% agree, is that keeps us stuck in resent and rumination. And I have clients, and I think that is probably one of the number one things that gets brought up. And if for people that don't know what rumination is, it's stewing. It's just sitting around being pissed off, <laughs> rehashing things in our head over and over and over and over, right? It doesn't help, it makes it worse. And we store those emotions and we actually build on those emotions. And so we have to obviously get that out. And you have done that and changed your trajectory. So if you don't mind, go ahead and head and explaining a little bit about that. Please tell your story. Absolutely. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah. And I will say like to preface all of this, it's, I think it's a constant practice, a lifelong practice, right? It's not something that I've, um, I'm done with. <laughs> it is not linear at all. Exactly. Yeah. And oh my gosh, that has really been my biggest lesson in the past year and a half of healing is not linear. Growth is not linear. Grief is not linear. Um, nothing in life is linear. And one of my my favorite teachings or sayings, and I, my amazing yoga teacher has shared this with me, and I cannot remember where it was originally said, um, but it was something along the lines of there are no straight lines in nature. Yeah. So I true. find that, yeah, I find that incredibly soothing and comforting to know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and nature has really been like a huge teacher for me through this. I really believe like every lesson you could ever need to know in this mm -hmm. human life is out there in nature just by observing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, so my story, um, I have been, as you said, like a yoga teacher, a meditation teacher, a music teacher for many years, actually. And this was pre, um, Pre my story, really, I feel like my story really just started in the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, and I, so I had this toolkit already of all of these amazing healing practices and I was using them. And I also felt like, you know, I don't know if there's um, like, I don't, I feel like my story's not big. Like I don't have a really traumatic thing that happened to me yet in life. <laughs> I mean, I'm 32, so I'm still young, but I've lived enough of life also, I think compared to a lot of 32 year olds, <laughs> <laughs> as you'll see, but like, you know, a lot of that is also stuff that you haven't uncovered yet. 
Mm -hmm. um, so, so about um, well, a year and a half ago, I had been in an eight year long partnership. Mm -hmm. Four of those eight years was married. And in January of 2022, my husband at the time suddenly left. Mm -hmm. It was really, really messy. Um, a confusing like two to three months mm -hmm. in the beginning of that that year where it, I wasn't sure what was going on. And this was really out of the blue. I had no idea. Um, prior to this, I had started my journey in talk therapy for the first time of my life. And this happened about a year to 10 months before my husband had walked out. And um, I really started to uncover a lot of childhood wounding in talk therapy and making the most amazing progress and fast progress with mm -hmm. talk therapy. So that whole year I was shifting, I was healing, I was becoming a healthier partner. I was um, learning how to set boundaries. I was learning how to communicate better. I was learning to not people please as much. You know, like other human adults should be able to voice their needs. And, you know, if they're not happy with something, they should be able to tell you, right? So I'm like, okay, I can trust. I can sit back, trust that my my husband or my partner um, can just tell me what is up, you know? And I just got into this like such healthier um, mental health space than I'd ever been in my life at that point. And lo and behold, I had no idea that was shifting, drastically shifting mm -hmm. the relationship with my husband. And I didn't know this mm -hmm. um, because that relationship had been built fully on a trauma bond mm -hmm. where we're both completely in our childhood wounding mm -hmm. and reenacting that. Right. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so as I got healthier, I noticed he got less uh, outwardly seemed to be a little less healthy and I had no idea it was actually about the relationship. And so, um, so he, he leaves, it's confusing, wants a divorce out of the blue without trying to even talk to me about anything that was wrong. Mm -hmm. really, like, I cannot describe how traumatic this was. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, I was also living in New York City, which is one of the most expensive places to live. Um, as background, I'm, I'm originally Canadian and my husband is a dual citizen, American and Canadian. So I was in the States with a green card through marriage, which mm -hmm. hadn't been fully processed yet at that point. So I'm I feel like, wow, I'm being abandoned in this foreign country in, an, in a huge, expensive city where I was also financially reliant on my husband. He was the breadwinner. And there was just a lot of um, questions. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what was happening. And this is where all of my anxiety attacks really came from. I had never truly experienced anxiety to that level in my life. Um, I didn't sleep for five months. I lost 10 pounds in like less than two weeks at the start of all this. I just wasn't eating. Um, it took me, I'd say at least like four to five months to actually start eating regularly and like actual healthy full meals. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it, it really, I wasn't able to function in any way. I was exhausted. Um, I was having so much talk therapy to just like help me get through. Um, but I was so blessed to have friends and family. I have a lot of healer friends as well. So I had my amazing EFT um, practitioner friend help me process the emotions as I was going through this. Meditation and yoga were off the table, which felt really hard because I had been doing those things for over 10 years at that point. Um, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do yoga, absolutely. Not even a, like a vinyasa, faster paced yoga, couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So that's when the tapping, the um, I did a lot of like shaking and screaming and crying. I have this big, beautiful frame drum that I would just bang away and scream and jump around the house to get that emotion out because mm -hmm. that was my way of processing. And even though I didn't know what was gonna happen, with my life. I didn't even know 
if there would actually be a divorce or not, because it was so complicated. I knew, okay, I just need to process all of this. I need to get it out of my body. Mm -hmm. um, so time, a few months went on and okay, divorce is happening. And that was just another low. I went on um, anti-depression and anxiety medication for the first time of my life. Mm -hmm. And I just had this moment of clarity through all of this. Like, I can't, like words don't really truly describe how low I was mm -hmm. in these months. And um, I just had this moment of clarity realizing like, I will not let this break me. Yeah. I will not let him break me. Mm -hmm. And so I was so grateful to have these healing tools prior because without them, without already having an established practice or, or even just knowing about them, I would not have made the, the recovery that I have made. Mm -hmm. um, and then through this, I did more education around, and like, around um, mental health things and just relationship stuff and realized that I had been in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. and I it. So yeah. it's been emotionally abusive, psychologically abusive and financially abusive. And I had absolutely no idea. So to um, learn about these things and to relate to way too many of mm -hmm. the criteria of these different types of abuse was the biggest shock of my life. Mm -hmm. um, it just really turns your world upside down. So it's been a long um, healing journey through that. But at the same time, I realized that I've been placed on the fast track of healing as well. And I'm so grateful, like I've said, to have the, the friends, the healer friends, these healing practices to get me through. Um, it has just been like the phoenix rising from the ashes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my, my life just fell apart more and more all through 2022. Like the first five, five months was the marriage dissolving suddenly. And then beyond that, I had friendships of like 15 years, suddenly people ghosting me, <laughs> dealing with the grief of all of that, the grief of like my family-in-law whom I loved so much. I can't talk to them. And, and the, the hardest part really was that none of these people knew the truth of what I had been through because it was so covert. Yeah. Um, I was really the only person in that on this planet who in that intimate relationship with my ex-husband could have known the truth, right? Mm -hmm. To see those colors of him come through at the end and just be completely in shock. So it's, it's really hard to um, not be fully seen by people and probably not believed, you know? So I, I've just had to resign with not um, being able to speak my truth to a lot of people and be okay with that. But again, it's like the grief is really non-linear. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, it's wild. So this has just really brought me to um, realizing that I am here to help people through these difficult transitions in life um, and healing their own stuff from the past. Um, it's just, I don't want anyone, I mean, I don't want anyone to have to go through um, that traumatic of a divorce as possible. Um, but I know it happens all the time. It, there are so many of us, especially women who have been in these kinds of relationships. Um, and it's just something that's not talked about. Yeah. I agree. Well, thank you for being so authentic, right? And sharing your story because I know there are a lot of people that can relate and it's, I thought of a few things when you were speaking and the number one thing is that I'm sure for years or in the relationship and in many of your relationships, not just the one with your husband, but you, you felt it, you felt that it wasn't right, but it's hard to, without the knowledge, without going to therapy, it, it, it's hard to put like a label on it. Like, Oh, 
this isn't right. This isn't healthy. Like, how do I, you know, how do I put this feeling or make sense of these feelings that are just, you know, I'm storing inside. And, you know, you mentioned just like, how do you, how do you make sense of it all is one thing, but then you don't feel seen, you feel kind of defenseless. And you mentioned, and I like the word covert, because I think sometimes people don't understand what that is. Explain that a little bit, what you mean by that. That's that's a there, that's a big word in there <laughs> that I plucked out. Yeah, it's, and I honestly think, Jamie, that's the most important word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, covert. So what I've come to, how I've made sense of all of this is that I was in a relationship with a covert narcissist. And I, being more of the somewhat codependent, like people pleasing, putting everyone else's needs before my own, well, we were the perfect fit, right? Um, so covert means these behaviors are not obvious, right? When people think of, for example, if we're talking about narcissism, people often think of overt narcissism, right? It's really obvious, like, oh, that person is so full of themselves. Um, they only care about themselves. They're they're not like kind or generous. And that's kind of the stereotype. But there are so many other types of narcissism, for example, and the covert kind. There are people who are in relationships with covert narcissists for like 30 plus years and they don't know it. Um, I've they feel it though. I have to <laughs> throw that in. They yeah. feel But they, they might even not consciously like they might feel it, but on a very subconscious level. So oftentimes when there is this kind of covert abuse in whatever way it is, it's like lots of manipulation, gaslighting, um, like uh, putting people, putting that person down, like devaluing. It's it's really wild. And the um, person experiencing this, or like the, the victim for lack of a better term, even though I don't like to use that term, um, the person experiencing it will internalize these things, but not on a conscious level, right? And that's where we hold on to the emotional baggage and the, the it's it's trauma, it's repeated abuse, regular abuse on a such a covert level, you don't even know what's happening. And in relationships with these covert abusers, they're generally very long relationships, like years and years and years long, right? With an overt narcissist, it's kind of hard to be in like a 30 year relationship with an overt narcissist. If you're like, okay, I've had enough. Like, yeah. you know, it's so much more obvious, but it's the covert stuff that is honestly the most kind of dangerous and the most like insidious out of all of it. So people who experience this often have um, health issues and it often takes them years after getting out of these relationships to fully recover from these health issues. There's a lot of autoimmune um, disorders through this as well. So yeah, it's just, it's a huge, huge issue. Um, and I really wish more people knew about it and that it was spoken about more. Um, mm -hmm. unfortunately there's not a lot of, um, real like experts on, for example, like covert narcissism. Mm -hmm. There are not a lot of therapists out there who specialize in that. Mm -hmm. um, and when you don't get it, it's really hard for for the person seeking help to understand what the heck just happened to them. You know, yeah. You, no, you I, yeah, I agree. And I jotted a couple things down. And number one, to backtrack a little bit, I love that you are able to hold the space for other people to heal, because yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny because I think sometimes you know it's like we're we're trained in the beginning before something even happens it's like you had all of these tools already and then when the timing was right it's like oh <laughs> i'm going to put all of this stuff to practice to heal myself and now i can hold the space and help others heal because you when you are dealing with a covert narcissist and you are in that codependent relationship which once your eyes are opened to narcissism and what it is Oh wow! You cannot close your eyes. Your awareness—I can pick them out of a, <laughs> out of a crowd. But most people—I I mean, you can't. 
a lot of times. And, and like you said, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing I highly recommend everybody kind of researches and looks up because you do get stuck in this codependent pattern. And I think so many people think of codependency as you're just dealing someone with like substance abuse and, you know, years or decades ago that, that is a lot of where the term came from, but it's really, you know, you're, you're feeding each other something. You use the word victim. And I agree. Sometimes it's hard to throw that around. Um, but I think we need to take the stigma off of that because we're all victims to something, but it's, it, it, I, I kind of, and if you want to change the label, it's an enabler, but a lot of times our enabler comes from trying to protect ourselves. And sometimes it's that codependency and it turns into the people pleasing and it's, and you do that to protect yourself. If I please and don't, you know, make the waves or, you know, I act just so I basically, because you're, you're basically an object to a narcissist, to a covert art narcissist. And if I, and if it can be that object for them, which is codependency, then everything will be good. I, I'm protected, right? I'm not going to get hurt. I'm not, you know, in, in, and so much of this is not really going through our head. Like you said, it's more at that subconscious level. We don't know that we're truly doing this. Um, but how does, so when, so when you're, when someone is, is stuck in this situation, I mean, what, what are some first steps? What are some things that we can do? And I know even with the meditation in the yoga, you taught, you, I, I do this. I stack a million questions on one because my mind's going like this. <laughs> so we'll unpack lots, but I'll come back to it. But I, I just, I don't want to forget because you brought up autoimmune diseases and things like that too. And again, it just goes back to how the body stores trauma. And I don't believe that so you say you're 32 and it really hasn't been a lot of trauma. And I think that's another thing. It's kind of like using that victim word or the trauma word. And so many people almost feel like, I don't, I don't really, I can't, I can't, you know, compared to someone else's life, I can't say it's trauma and no one goes through life without, you know, you, you can't escape trauma. There's, there's little traumas all day long, just, you know, childhood being bullied on the playground or whatever that affects you. It gets in your head. It, I mean, you know, it affects you later in life, but there's, so yes, it is that emotional, like when you were speaking and you, and you talk about, you know, say your, your ex-husband, it's that emotional, psychological abuse, even if it's not physical abuse, that is trauma. And it really does affect your brain. It affects the way you think. It affects the way you see the world. It affects the way you view everything. And, oh, I wrote, oh, what was it? it? It does. It kills your spirit. It kills your soul. And all these autoimmune diseases. And I'm just going on and on. And I'm throwing all this stuff out there. So I want you to go on and on and, and take it away um, because... As listeners are out there, I feel like so many people check, 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 check boxes. And okay, I'm stuck there. Megan, what do I do? Help me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you brought up so many good things, Jamie. Like the first thing I, I would want to just like tack on to what you've said of like big T trauma versus little t trauma. There, I mean, the things that a lot of us live and the kind of like what could be classified maybe more as small t trauma, right, is not, doesn't come close to what some people in the world experience on a regular basis. Like there are just so many um, awful things out in the world. And I think just like being grateful for not experiencing those things right whether it's like a natural disaster or like a your society or country that is more abusive towards a certain demographic or not and just even in um you know in like north america with um white supremacy and capitalism like and colonialism all over the world there's just so much going on so mm -hmm. you cannot escape 
having some sort of trauma. Like you said, even if that's like being bullied as a kid on the playground. Um, but when you're bullied as a kid on the playground, you're, you're storing that stuff. And as a kid, you don't have the self-awareness to be able to realize what's happening. So you're carrying that on into adulthood. So basically my, um, my understanding, my goal to help people is to know that like, we all have something, we all have stuff that we're carrying around no matter what it is. And there's a way that we can help to ease our burden and ease our baggage. Right. doesn't mean we're ever going to fully get rid of it, but we can basically use um, these somatic practices, um, trauma informed practices, which are somatic practices. They go hand in hand. You're creating more space and more capacity for yourself to be able to hold the trauma and the difficult emotions. Right. So it, um, you can think of it as like um, a glass of water. And let's say the water in the glass is all of the pain that you've experienced, all of the trauma. And if you don't have these tools to process, then your glass of water, it's going to overflow eventually. Right? You don't have room. So let's say through these somatic practices and trauma-informed practices, you're actually just getting a bigger glass for your water. So there's more space. So that's really what... Um, I just am so passionate about helping people realize that it's a possibility to get that bigger glass, right? Exactly. You can create it. Um, yeah. Also too, I hope the background um, for all listeners isn't really bad. Sometimes we just have to laugh at things because there's a leaf blower right outside my window right now, but I'm just going to speak louder, right? So on the trauma part, um, I, I I love this. I, I recently interviewed uh, a counselor slash coach, and she does a lot of work with her clients, um, getting them through trauma. And I just love the saying. I'm sure everybody's heard it. Life is, you know, more about. I mean, we all have the trauma, right? We all have trauma, but it's how you react to it because you know, there can be natural disasters, there can be disease and illness, there can be physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, whatever. And it can happen to all of us and we all react differently. And I, I, I love to take the words, let, let's take the two words, blame and victim, for instance, because there is a point when it's healthy to look at something and say, that was not my fault and to blame something else. Okay. A tornado just went through and ripped my house apart. That was not my fault. I blame this mess on the tornado. Okay. Now what am I going to do about it? I, I, I need to do something because there's, there's a cleanup, right? There's a mess there. And, it, and it's that saying, I, I like just the simple terms of too, you know, it's not your fault necessarily that you're messed up. But it is your fault if you stay that way. It's 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 a choice, um, not always a subconscious choice. We need you you know we need to get some help. But even when it comes to people and relationships, because we all hurt each other on a daily basis, whether we intend to or not, whether we're narcissists or not, it doesn't matter. It just it, that's just life. We're all human. We're all flawed. And to look at something and blame and be like let's say, let's go back to our childhood. It could be the bully on the playground. It could be the way, you know, your parents raised you or a coach or a teacher treated you or, you know, a friend. I mean, there could be, it could come all over and it happens even through adulthood. It's one thing to look at it and, and, and I'd like to take the blame and say, it's more of a knowledge or an awareness of, oh, that's where it came in. So blaming someone though would then be staying there. And that 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 hurt, that pain, the aggression, the sadness, whatever it is that you're carrying, and just I'm gonna stay this way and it's all your fault. To me, that's that's your blame. But you can also use that blame of okay, oh, that's where it came in. This is why I feel this way. And you make understanding of it. I'm not gonna stay here. Here's what happened, here's what's going on, here's what's keeping me stuck. This is why I feel this way. And I don't want to. I want to release it. And that to me is where just say like the yoga and the meditation, 
is so helpful. And I think people are always looking for something. It's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be harder work. And I'm not saying it's not. No, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's hard work. It's long-term work. Like we talked earlier, it's not linear. You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. And it's a practice that you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. So I used to teach yoga. And I will say back in the day, it didn't really occur to me the whole somatic experience of it. It was more, and I think a lot of people think this way, and this is why I'm bringing this up, it's cosmetic. You know, I'm going to get toned this and that and whatever doing yoga. I'm going to increase my flexibility. Are you going to get those things? Absolutely. But it's so much more that you can tap into it and it has so much healing. And even with the autoimmune um, through the yoga, I would love for you to explain how, and maybe through the meditation too, but let's maybe start with the yoga because earlier too, I'm digging up all kinds of stuff from earlier in the conversation. Um, you talked about hip openers because I have also heard that too um, about how we store a lot. Is it from our childhood or something in our hips, which is crazy to me. So I would love to, for you to talk on that. And then you also said like heart openers. So let's say I have a lot of stored trauma, like emotional trauma. And I have, let's say I have gut issues. <laughs> I have a lot of gut issues, digestion issues. There it is. Everybody that knows me knows that. And I know a lot of people that do. And a lot of autoimmune disease. I know a lot of people that have lots of autoimmune disease. And if you're listening, instead of running to our doctors for prescriptions, you know, maybe there's some other things that we can try or things that go in, hand in hand. So can you speak on, on that, please, with the yoga? Absolutely. Um, well, I would say, like, there's not really a specific place where a specific emotion is stored specifically in the body. You know, everyone's different, right? So generally, yeah, hips are known to be like childhood stuff. Um, heart openers are just so vulnerable, right? Because you're really opening up a lot of people actually in our society too, with, with phones now and, and different technology, we are more hunched over, right? We generally want to, we, well, we don't want to, but we tend to flex our spine forward to round forward and have a head forward position. Yes. That causes a tucked pelvis, right? And it's just like an awful thing for your spine to go through. So mm -hmm. whenever we try to undo that, and we open the chest, we drop the shoulders down and back. We bring the head a little bit further back so it's actually in the correct alignment for your spine. Like that can be very vulnerable because it's something that we're not used to feeling. Right. And so heart openers are just like, you know, you store everything in your heart. Your heart right. is the window to your soul. So what poses are, more, are the best heart openers? Um. I just really love laying back on a bolster or a pillow. So you can just, um, you can even do this in bed. You don't even need to be like on a yoga mat for this, but just laying back, but behind your heart. So like you're, you're behind your chest, your rib cage, placing a pillow, or if you have a bolster, not, I know not everyone does. You can or use an exercise ball, right? Yeah. An exercise ball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you could use a rolled up towel or blanket and just place that like vertically along your spine and lay okay. back on that. And it just helps to open the chest. Um, you probably want some support under your head as you're doing this. So your head's not craning back, but mm -hmm. you know, find what, what is most comfortable for you, but just like mm -hmm. laying there for a couple of minutes in a day and breathing consciously with the heart open like it could shift a lot for you. You could just feel more centered, more regulated afterwards. Maybe you'll even feel happier. You know, it just really depends. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then as far as hip openers, um, so whether you're, you know, the listeners are active yogis or they want to Google a yoga pose, um, say the hip opener. So what when I think of um, hip openers, which it's one of my favorite poses ever still is just going, and I call it down dog still, downward dog, and then going into three-legged dog and just opening up the hips. That has got to be, I don't know, I love that. So I, I consider that a hip opener, but what are some other good hip opener poses? 
or stretches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can do like forward lunges. So a low lunge. Um, I like to use blocks under my hands. If you've got them, mm -hmm. if you don't have blocks, you can use books. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just stepping one foot forward. So that front leg is bent at 90 degrees from the mm -hmm. knee. And then the back leg, that knee is actually resting on the mat or on the ground. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, kind of shimmy your hips forward a little bit. So you play around with the degree of stretching that is happening in that back leg's hip. Um, but you'll really feel it across the front of the hip, the front, um, that quad of that leg mm -hmm. as well. Um, I think that's nice. You can mm -hmm. rock back and forth in that. Um, another pose that I really like is um, saddle pose, which is having these two blocks. It's like a version of camel, if you know what camel is. Camel can be really intense, though, for a lot of people. Okay. So this is a pose where, if you, again, if you have the blocks, that's awesome. You come to just um, sit on your shins. You're sitting mm -hmm. back on your heels. You have a block on either side of you, and your hands are on the blocks kind of around um, your hip bones. So towards your towards your heels a little bit mm -hmm. from there gently pushing through the hands and raising your pelvis off and away from your heels so you're kind of stretching and bringing your pelvis forward and it, again the it doesn't matter how much right mm -hmm. everyone's going to be different but that will give you a little bit of um actually both a heart opener and um a hip opener and i really mm -hmm. like that one Mm -hmm. I also think of, and I still call it, uh, I just do yoga by myself mostly in the living room, but my, my days of teaching, I always called it Cobra, where you're, um, or do they call it up dog? Which one is that? Uh, you know what I mean, though, where your hands are on, say your palms are on the ground, tops of your thighs and everything is, is on the ground, and then you, you know, you arch back, which now that we're speaking, that sounds um, like a good heart opener and hip yeah. opener as well. Yeah. Yeah, cobra, yeah. that's that's it. Um, Sphinx is another okay. one. So if cobra feels too intense for some people, mm -hmm. you can check out Sphinx, which is a little bit less of a deep um, arch in the back, and you're actually pushing yourself up on the um, your forearms. So you're okay. on your elbows. So it's just a little bit of a gentler stretch. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it also reminded me of pigeon pose where you have the front leg, you know, at the angle and then your back leg is, is back, but also, you know, so people, everybody can Google these different poses, right. And get pictures, but also, you know, just the classic, I think a lot of this, um, you know, if somebody just wants, they're out for a walk or the runner, the good old runner's lunge, right. That back leg coming down, maybe on your forearms and getting a deep runner's yeah. lunge. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So great ways to just release and talk to me a little bit about meditation. I I think it's hard for a lot of people. I mean, yoga is tough yeah. to quiet ourselves. All of this stuff, it requires slowing down, which is so hard for people, especially just we live like in this world where we feel like we have to be busy all the time, you know, crazy busy. Everybody's always on crazy busy, you know. We got to slow down. It's not, it's not helping us. It's hurting us. And we have to stop wearing it like a badge of honor. It's just, it's not. And meditating and doing yoga, it helps slow us down. It's good for us physically, mentally, emotionally. And I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's hard. I even had messaged you that I did one of your 10 minute meditation videos on your website, which is fabulous. So I recommend everybody check those out. And I, I mean, I had to force myself because, you know, I'd come back from vacation. I let the podcast go for almost two weeks now that I just, honestly, I just, I didn't feel it. It wasn't in me. And then I get home and I'm overwhelmed with work. I've got 60 some emails. I haven't done this, haven't done this, you know, and that is, that's everybody, right? Our to-do lists. Our, I have to do this. I have to call this, but I like, I really have time to sit down and meditate and just, you know, but it is so beneficial. So talk to us a little bit more about meditation and any tips or tricks you have to get us to just start, do something. Absolutely. Well, I will say you're not alone, Jamie, because <laughs> even myself, like I, I do have resistance every now and then of like, oh, I don't want to meditate. 
I don't want to do yoga. Like even the most advanced practitioners still have those struggles. So that's just a human thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I think number one is being gentle with yourself and like remembering that you are human, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no blaming mm -hmm. there, right? And you're not, you're not blaming yourself. Um, and I'm just so passionate about finding all of these different ways to to creep or to sneak meditation into your daily mm -hmm. life because the the opportunities and the possibilities rather are really endless. Mm -hmm. So it like what most people think of in meditation is your seat. It's a seated practice, which is a traditional practice, right? You're sitting on a cushion on the floor and you're not moving and your eyes are closed and you're trying to like not think about anything. Right. And that doesn't work for the vast majority of people. <laughs> right. Obviously. <laughs> I think like I, I love doing that, but still like sometimes I have resistance to that as well. Right. So I think really anything can be a meditation. Mm -hmm. um, you can be walking down the street or walking around your house and that can be a meditation. And that is it's by um, getting out of your head again, like into the body. This is like a theme that keeps coming back, right? Yes. And knowing that you're never going to fully quiet your brain. Mm -hmm. the, the goal of meditation is not to stop thinking. And that's a big misconception that people often have. They're like, oh, my brain's too noisy. I'm not doing it right. That's right. not at all what meditation is for. Like your their brain's always going to go. The most advanced meditation practitioner will still have their ego monkey brain going around in circles, right? Mm -hmm. But it's that can you be the observer of that and not overly identify with it? Right? So what do you mean by observer? Is that just observing what you feel in your body and where? So it yeah. could be, yeah, it could be that observing the thoughts that come in. So there, there are lots of different um kind of images that I like to think of for this, but one of them could be like thinking you are sitting on a bench or imagine you're sitting on a bench by a busy highway and all the cars that are passing on this highway are your thoughts, right? It could be a thought of like, oh, I have to cook that for dinner later or, oh, I forgot this item at the grocery store or, oh, I have to pay this bill or, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that. Um, also thinking about the past, oh, I should have said this differently to to whoever person, right? So that that those are the cars passing by. And if you try to control all of those thoughts, right? You'd get up from your little bench and you'd like run into the middle of the highway trying to control the traffic, trying to stop the cars, trying to tell them where to go. But that is not um, an easy thing to do. And it's honestly dangerous. And it would be a waste of your time because you're not going to be able to control all of these passing cars on this highway. But if you can learn to sit back on this bench and just mindfully observe the cars going by, you find that like inner peace and that moment of stillness. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can be okay with this traffic. Yeah. I am not the traffic. I'm watching the traffic. And it's like, I, I just, I can't control it. So I'm not going to overly identify with it. it. It doesn't mean I'm a good or bad person if there is traffic or not. Yeah. You know, it's just, we're all the observers. Yeah. Our bodies. Two things popped into my head. And it's it's one of the, one is that I I don't, just telling yourself, I don't have control over the traffic first. But beyond that, acknowledging that the traffic has power or control over me right now when you feel that like i gotta run out there and try to be traffic controller like no that means that the traffic has power and control over you i've never thought of it like that so yeah. that's a good thing of like meditation is to understand it's not trying to stop those thoughts from com coming in but maybe reframe it as this thought will not have power over me. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's an epiphany I've never had. Thank you, Megan. Truly. Truly. Yeah. And, and like when we try to control the the yeah. traffic, that's where all of our suffering comes from. The anxiety, 
the depression, the like trying to like keep up with the Joneses in society, like according to society by this time at this age, I should have like X, Y, Z things already set up. Like that, mm -hmm. that causes suffering. We're constantly, like you said earlier, like ruminating on things and mm -hmm. just stuck in like, I'm not enough. I'm not doing life correctly. There mm -hmm. is no right way to do life. Everyone is just walking each other home as what my favorite teacher Ram Das says, we're all just walking each other home. No one, we don't really know what we're doing. Right. Interesting. No, it's so true. No one really does. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. But we think everybody else does, you know, right? We look around, oh, they know what they're doing. They have it all together. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, right. Well, and, and I know in one of, uh, or in the meditation that I did, I, I like this is, it's not about trying to not think those thoughts, but to meet them without so much judgment or, you know, it's how you react to those thoughts. And I, and I feel like with meditation, it's, it's not being so reactive. Again, it's just responding through just being still and allowing, you know, your breath to take over and allowing the peace in. Yeah. And that, that's that nervous system regulation we talked about at the start, right? Of, of dropping into the um, parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, and it's getting over the, the stigma or the belief that you're not being productive when you're meditating, because that's, that's a hurdle for me. I'll admit it. You sit down or, you know, it, it and you don't have to sit, but it's, well, I could be doing this instead. I'm not being productive. And it's so untrue. You're being so much more productive by first doing that. You'll see that you are more productive <laughs> in everything outside of that. One other thing I wanted to, that popped in my head, um, a few weeks ago, I did an in interview with someone. Um, he had written a book about kindness. He, he does all kinds of stuff about kindness. And I love this. I've, I've thought about it so many times. He says, when, when things pop into our heads, just ask yourself, is this a good time to be thinking about this? Nine times out of 10, no. And then just tell yourself, I'll think about that later. You know, I mean, we're so easy to procrastinate on certain things. Why not procrastinate on that thought? <laughs> a little bit you know it's it's so true it's so true definitely so yeah. oh Megan we could go on forever oh my goodness this has been a fabulous conversation is there any last words any anything you want to leave okay well thank you so much Jamie for having me and just like one last quick thing um that I would just suggest people do like through meditation through yoga through whatever it is you want to do whatever practice, it's just all cultivating more self-awareness. Yes. And that's really what makes all the difference in being able to navigate life in a more flowing and easeful way. It is truly the number one step, the self-awareness. And I think so many of us walk around pretty unaware. But I think that the meditation and yoga definitely help that. It, it is, it's very good because just even little things, say if you're in a yoga pose, just the self-awareness of, oh, this is killing me, right? Yeah, I'm aware, exactly. you know, my, my body's breaking, but yes, no, definitely. So if people um, want to work with you, you do, I know private yoga lessons, but not all of us are your neighbors, right? So what do you do online or how can people is, do you do group sessions, one-on-one, on Zoom? Tell us about that. Absolutely. Um, well, I do work a lot online as well. So mm -hmm. you can head over to my website, uh, Megan with an H, M-E-G-H-A-N, Cornet, C-O-R-N-E-T-T.com. And you'll find um, all of my stuff there. I do offer one-on-one -on -one, um, yoga sessions, meditation sessions, sound meditation sessions, which are my jam. Wow. Um, and then I do online um, women's circles as well through um, and group things like that. So yeah, just head on over there. Actually, there's a free crystal flute meditation track that I highly recommend you go and download because it's really nice and soothing. I was doing it the other week while I was doing some restorative yoga. I was listening to it. And I'm like, oh, this is nice. So <laughs> you can go over there and grab that and just stay in the loop that way. 
And you can even listen to it when you're out for a walk, right? It's um, meditation, the walking meditation, right? Out in nature, what could be better? I know, definitely. I will put your website and things in, in the show notes too, so people can get in touch with you. But again, thank you so much for coming on. And, and I love the, you know, be real, be raw, be authentic, and you're all of them and so much more. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much for listening to Authentically Raw. I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email, jamie at jamiebarris.com and let me know what episodes resonate with you and why. Are you a people pleaser? If so, I need your help. Please, I'm writing a book about people pleasing titled The People Pleaser's Guide to Pissing People Off to improve your relationships, especially the one you have with yourself. And I'm looking for personal stories of how people pleasing has impacted your life or suck the life out of you. Maybe people-pleasing has held you back, caused you to feel resent, regret, anger, powerlessness, or just plain exhaustion. Let me know how it's impacted your life. Who knows, maybe your story will inspire my writing and grace the pages in some shape or form in this handy dandy little guide. Also, if you enjoy the authentically raw content, please support the show by following and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Simply scroll down through the episodes and you will see where to do so. Want to learn more about life coaching? Head over to my website, jamiebarris.com and check it out. You can also follow me on social media at Jamie Barris for lots of inspiration and empowerment. One last thing, I'm rooting for you. Be real, be raw, be authentic.